Holy Father, your faithfulness is amazing. We pray that you will help us to catch a wider, deeper understanding of your faithfulness through your word and through your Holy Spirit. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. If you were to rate your prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10, and particularly asking the question about how courageous you are with your prayers, where would you fall? I I, I have a feeling that most of us are kind of wimpy prayers. I have to tell you, there are, there are many times where I am, where I, I'm content to settle for prayers about small things and asking in small ways, far less than I could or than I should. And the problem with that is that our prayer lives are so intimately connected to our whole lives. How we pray is a direct reflection of how we live and how we live is a direct reflection of how we pray. And we're so often willing to settle for mediocre when God wants to make our lives extraordinary. We're willing to to say passable is okay when we're being called to exceptional. We're content with colorless when God created us to be vibrant. And how we pray has a great bearing on that. George MacDonald, whose writings such a great influence on C.S. Lewis's journey to faith, once wrote, Man finds it hard to get what he wants because he doesn't want the best. God finds it hard to give because he wants to give the best, but we don't want to take it. And we miss out on so much of what God wants to do because we're hesitant and fearful and uncertain about praying courageously and boldly. And far too often, our lives reflect that. But every so often, we get a glimpse of people who are willing to be uh, courageous, willing, unwilling to be content, and are ready to jump in with both feet with the things of God. And David is one of those people, and 1 Chronicles 17 is one of those glimpses. Everything the chronicler is attempting to communicate in this whole chronicle hinges on chapter 17. This chapter is a response to all that's gone before, and everything that will follow comes out of what is done here. Because this is about God's covenant with David. The post-exilic Jews to whom the Chronicles is written seem to have all but given up 
completing the plans that God has for them of rebuilding the temple and, and reestablishing the temple worship and reclaiming their place as God's people. And the chronicler's response to their discouragement and their apprehension is to take them back to David once again. As chapter 17 unfolds, David has established his reign in Israel. He's brought the ark back to Jerusalem, and temple worship is moving forward once again, or the tabernacle worship. God is living, God is is worship in this tent structure. And things are going well, but there's something nagging David in the back of his mind. And one day it hits him. He's living in this wonderful palace, and God's being worshipped in a tent. And he says, we got to do something about that. And he begins making plans to build this phenomenal temple for God. And he calls in the prophet Nathan, and he says, here's what I want to do. What do you think? And Nathan says, go for it, David. This is awesome. And Nathan goes home that night, and God appears to him and says, hold on. i got a message for David. And the next day, Nathan goes back and he says, here's what God says. Did I complain about my surroundings? Have I ever said I don't like where I'm living? This is just fine for me. You don't need to build me a house as much as I appreciate it. In fact, I'm going to turn this thing around. Instead of you building me a house, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your legacy. I'm going to establish your family as the leaders of Israel forever. And when God is done, David prays. And as David concludes his prayer, he says in verse 25, Lord, because of all this that you've said, your servant has found courage to pray to you. I don't think David can see any more into the future of God's promise than we can with our own lives. And yet here is David praying for God to do what is honestly, humanly impossible. You got to remember, Saul, the previous king, the first king, lasted one generation. What would make David think that his family would last forever? Except God says it. And David is asking for something that is so far beyond him to establish his family as the leaders of Israel forever. But it's clear as you read this that it really doesn't have anything to do with David or his family. It's all about God. And here you have the post-exilic Jews who are facing this huge task of rebuilding the temple and reestablishing it and reclaiming themselves as God's people. And they are bowing under the weight of it because they have come to see that it's just too big, too much, too great. So many obstacles, too many problems. The enemy is too powerful. The task is too big and the resources are too small. So we might as well just quit. And through this incident with David, the chronicler reminds them that there are no obstacles too great for God. The chains of Egyptian slavery are not too great for God. The Red Sea is not too great for God. The Jordan River is not too great for God. The walls of Jericho are not too great for God. The fortified cities and the giants of Canaan are not too great for God. The Babylonians who came in and sacked Jerusalem are still not too great for God. And the Persians who rule the world as this is being written are not too great for God. And he says to them, everything I've done in the past 
I'm going to continue to do. For I am a God who doesn't change. It's all about God. Notice the pronouns beginning in verse 7. I took you, God says, from the pasture. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I have cut off all your enemies. I will make your name like the names of the greatest people of the earth. I will provide a place for my people, Israel. I have appointed leaders over Israel. I will subdue all of your enemies. I will raise up your offspring. I will establish his kingdom. I will never take my love away from you. I will set him over my house. I will, I will, I will, I will. It's all about God. It is God's power and promise that fills his people with courage to pray boldly. It's not about us. And if we're ever going to pray courageous, bold, risky prayers, we have to get a glimpse of God's power and might. We have to come to believe that despite whatever issue is that we may be praying about, it's not too big for God. The children's song that we teach them really is right. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. I thought about having to sing that today, but, you know, you get the motions and all of that, and we decided not to do it. But it's true. It's true. What a great word to implant into our children. Unfortunately, as we get older, it begins to fade. Life starts taking on things that we hadn't planned. And, and the older we get sometimes, the more into the faith we get, sometimes the more apprehensive we become. It reminded me of a song we used to sing when, when I was a child in prayer meeting. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do what no other power can do. Our hesitancy to pray courageously may well be the result of our living with a small view of God. And that's why we need to be reminded that there is nothing God cannot do. There's no obstacle too big, no problem too complex, no weight too heavy, no power too great. Courageous prayers ask God for more than we can do because we believe God can do anything and everything. And that's the rock foundation of praying courageous and bold prayers. Of course, we then wonder, well, all right, God is great, but am I certain that he really wants me to pray? Why, why, does God, why is God interested? Why does God want to do this? Why does God use his great power for his people? And the answer is one that we just sang about. It's because God is good and gracious and faithful, even when we don't deserve it. Courageous praying recognizes that, honestly, we deserve nothing from God. God has no obligations to us. But we ask anyway because God is good and God loves to give more than we are even ready and on sometimes willing to receive. I keep coming back to Luke 11 and Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And those who seek find. And those who knock, the door will be opened. For which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? And you then who are evil, 
If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I mean, we like doing good things for, for our children. And we know the evil in our hearts. How much more God who is perfectly good. Despite the responsibility that David and his family and the Israelites have in maintaining the covenant that they make with God, really the covenant is possible and grounded and real only because God initiates it and God sustains it. It is all God's idea. David is just responding to it. Look at verses 16 and 17. David says, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? I've got nothing. Why in the world would you choose me? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O God, you've spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. There's no sense of entitlement in David's prayer, just gratitude. And we pray with boldness and courage, not because we deserve anything from God, but simply because God is good. And he loves to give good gifts to us. Does David say, Lord, I'd really like for you to establish my house forever. He just wants to build a temple for God. And God says, let's take that a little bit further. God initiates this covenant with David. And you get a sense as God is really saying to David, look, I'm really not all that concerned about what you think you can do for me. I want to talk to you about what I'm going to do for you. And that is such a different mindset about how most people view God and have always viewed other gods. You know, when you think about the the gods of the ancient Near East, they don't see God as... They don't see their gods as as wanting to give them good things. In fact, they only get their gods to do good things when they're forced to do it. They have to trick them. They have to cajole them. They have to go through the right rituals. What a difference that Yahweh comes to David and says, I know you haven't asked for this, but I'd like to pour out this blessing on you. That's why the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us when he writes in chapter 4 of Jesus, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess, and then let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. That's why we pray bold, courageous, risky prayers. Courageous prayers are inspired by the unsolicited goodness of God's promises. And when we know that God is good, we don't have to worry about how God answers our prayers. Because we can trust God with complete confidence that he will always do what is best. Even if it's not what we want, it's best. Because we know God knows better than we do. About what is best. Because God is good, we can pray in humble surrender to His will and His purposes and the answers of our perfectly faithful God. It's not always easy for us because we like control. We have a hard time surrendering. We get so wrapped up in our own agenda. We want to build things for God, even though God tells us that He has bigger and better plans for us. 
But we get our minds so set on our plans and, and we, they supersede God's plans. Even though when you look at it from perspective, our plans are so puny and minuscule compared to God's. I, I wouldn't be surprised if David has a little argument with God. But Lord, I want to build you a temple. Why can't I build you a temple? This is what I want to do. This is, this is so wonderful. This is going to be big. This is going to be great. And you can know, see God rolling his eyes saying, this is going to be big? It's like a little matchbox, David. I, I want to bless your family for, forever. And, and you're wrapped up in this little temple? And how often we get wrapped up in the temporal. And God wants to do the eternal. You know, we, we think that what we really need to be focused on is, is the temporal things. And God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want sometimes because we want the temporal and God wants the eternal. We want little things. God wants huge things. Sometimes the most courageous kinds of prayers are simply prayers of surrender. Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. Lord, I don't see it, but, but I believe that you know best. Lord, I, I got to admit, it doesn't make any sense right now, but I believe that your ways are higher than my ways. And so, let's go. But sometimes we wonder not about the answers, but about the actual prayers. What exactly does it mean to pray bold prayers? What, what prayers are appropriate, bold, and courageous prayers for us to pray? We see some people who, who seem to be praying in bold and courageous ways, but their prayers feel self-centered and self-promoting. And, and we think, I don't want to do that. And so then we're, it makes us even more hesitant. I think, I think praying bold prayers, the example we have is, the, is what we follow what David does. And that is simply to pray what we know God has called us to pray. David gets to the end of this and he says, okay, Lord, I want you to bless my family forever. Where does that come from? It's from God. And he's simply agreeing with what God has said, this is what I want to do. And when you and I think about bold, courageous prayers, we start thinking about what does God in his word tell us is right and appropriate. I was thinking through this and and I'll just give you a list of some some, things. some examples. Courageous prayers are, are prayers that God's called us to pray. And we are, we are always right to pray for God to help us love him with all of our being. To give us victory over temptation. To, to fill us with wholehearted love for other people. Which can be a hard one when he says, okay, but that means you need to forgive them. That means you take, need to take responsibility for that. That means you need to get involved in, the, in that person's life. It means that you need to work for justice. It means you think about mercy instead of being judgmental. It's always appropriate for us to pray for God to make us humble toward him and others. It's always appropriate for us to pray for God to help us release into his care those who are closest to us. And to let God lead the lives of people who are closest to us to what he wants instead of what we want. It's always right to pray for God to give us a spirit of generosity and to heal the sick. And to give us strength to handle the pains of life that don't dissipate when we want them to. To restore broken relationships. Even if it means that we have to take some responsibility. 
to transform hearts that seem closed to him, to help us spread the gospel to every person and that they would receive it, to protect his people from persecution and to give them strength to stand up in the face of it. And it is always right for us to pray for God to make us holy like himself. And sometimes the most courageous prayer is to not feel like praying, to not understand what our praying means, to be filled with doubt about prayer, and to pray anyway. Or to continue praying when we don't get an answer, or to to ask God to give us joy and fulfillment in the common mundane things of life when we're looking for the super exciting things of life. Bold and courageous prayers are going to look different for all of us. For some of us who may have been doing this for a while, it might mean jumping off the high dive. It might mean just jumping into the deep end off the side of the pool. It might mean wading or swimming down toward the deep end. It might mean just getting in and standing in the shallow end. It might mean dipping our toe in the water. It might mean just coming to the pool at all. But we're doing something more with our prayers of trusting God than we've been doing. It's sort of the difference between thinking about climbing Mount Everest or getting in an elevator to go to the second floor office building. Second floor office building is a lot more comfortable, a lot safer. It feels less threatening, less worrisome, maybe less responsibility. But when, when did living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords ever mean safe or unthreatening or without responsibility? That's a lie that the enemy has put into our minds because he wants us to be stunted in our spiritual growth. He wants us to think that mediocrity is what we just ought to come to expect, that convenience is all that matters. While the great God is calling us to amazing heights. Frightening, yes. Hard, yes. But we do it because we're not going alone. We're walking with Christ. He's holding us. He's with us. He's making it possible. It's for that reason that I brought with me today this uh, harness, climbing harness. You know, as we've been talking the last few weeks about this, the book of Chronicles reminding us that of the two major things, that God is the king and that we as his citizens worship the king. And so we talked about this tree and the genealogies in those first nine chapters and that we're connected to people through the centuries and around the world And this heart that people who are citizens of the kingdom live with their heart turned to God. And this cape representing what a hero might wear. That God does amazing things through people who will surrender to him. And these prisms. That God will, will shine his light in us and through us to other people. And reflect the beauty of who he is in them. And the hard hat that worship is, is awesome and it ought to feel a little bit dangerous to us to be in the presence of the King of Kings. But the balloon reminds us it's also celebration. And now this harness 
that we step into with God. And thinking about climbing something like Mount Everest is frightening. But with God, we're climbing into this harness and we don't know where he's going to lead us or, or how it's going to go or what's going to happen. But we're with him and it's going to be good. So I want you to think for a moment about some kind of courageous prayer. Maybe it's something that's been sort of in the back of your mind, but you've been hesitant to embrace it. Maybe it will be something new that you hadn't thought of before. But I know God wants us to step out in faith, take some risks as we pray. Because that's how spiritual growth takes place. So in the next few moments, we're going to sit in some silence and just listen to God and pray to God about something courageous, something risky that he is calling us to. Father, give us courage to pray boldly, to take risks, step out in faith, because you are great and loving, and we can trust your answers. And you've already told us so many things that you want to do. Give us grace to move a little further up the mountain with you. Through Christ Jesus. Amen.